When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I'm going to bring up something that my wife doesn't want me to talk about. I love this. I just love it. I love that this is how we're starting this episode. This is perfect. But it's not what you think it's going to be, ah. unfortunately, for you. And for the listeners, I would assume. But I, this is about the fact that she can't sleep. Okay. So she's very respectful of my sleep and I think resentful in some ways of my ability to sleep in any circumstance. Now, it takes me a while to get to sleep, but once I'm asleep, I'm out. I mean, now, mm-hmm. I say all that, and I, I'm a light sleeper. I know this is all over the place. But <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm not disturbed by mm-hmm. a kid's cry or a noise, whatever, I will, if I'm on my back, I'll snore. Mm-hmm. The worst thing for a non-sleeper is sleeping mm-hmm. in the same bed with somebody who is out and who is snoring so she's so stressed that she cannot go to sleep and is worried that us having two glasses of wine maybe sometimes three glasses of wine is what gives her her best shot at a restful sleep which defies the common wisdom about alcohol before bed that's not really theoretically where you get your best sleep but so she has been kind enough to sleep in another room and now we're in this mode bad where it's bad it's bad that's bad bad news don't start that habit because then it just becomes the norm first of all have you ever heard of marijuana why doesn't she smoke a joint or have an edible like have how a, many times have, do we have to say this look and, and and this is nothing against that because i will tell you right now if there have was a heavy indica edible and she will fucking go to sleep yeah i mean i when i start i'm when i'm not against anything when it comes to sleep i mm-hmm. I, I think that is the key to life is good mm-hmm. restful beneficial yeah deep sleep and i, I wear an aura ring and I wear a whoop bracelet that tells me Whoa. my my whoop. sleep. There's your sleep. <laughs> That's what it is. And there's <laughs> it says, you know, you got two and a half hours of REM sleep, which is good for me. Tells you you've got now my aura ring will tell me I got 19 minutes of deep sleep. My whoop bracelet will tell me I got an hour and 30 minutes of deep sleep. So well, I, I don't really are these understand. Bullshit? Here's the thing. 
Are these toys? If they are, they could be. But if they are, at least they're relative. Like each night is relative to the one before. Okay. You know what I mean? So maybe well, let, I didn't get on. an hour and a half. Let's go but back this, for a this second. This was a good so night compared to another night. She doesn't want to eat weed. Like that's not what she wants to even try if this is such a big deal. You know, that she's actually sleeping in another room. You don't want to get into the whole Xanax thing, right? No. You don't want to get no. into the whole She, she doesn't want to take anything. She doesn't want right. to take anything except watch uh, an episode of Losing Alice and drink two and a half glasses of wine and shut it down. That no. that would be her. But now she's trying to lean out for a photo shoot she's doing, so she doesn't want to drink wine. So now she starts at 6.30 at night. Man, I'm not going to have wine tonight. I'm not going to be able to sleep. And then it just becomes this manifestation mm. of her worries and she doesn't sleep yeah, so it's that's bad tough. it's a bad cycle and i feel terrible for her because we've got these twins and they're up at seven and it's full on and she's exhausted yeah. so she's like a zombie right now and and i feel terrible for her because i you can't help somebody sleep and it's she i think it's really fucking with well her. dr hudson prescribes five milligrams of indica marijuana why not try that i don't understand what she thinks drinking three glasses of wine is is better for her than having a gummy you know what i mean like what's the fear there what's the stigma what's what, what's going on why I not think just that's have it a- no i think that's it i think there's a stigma with that for both of us where but again i will say again I, i'm up for anything anything i'm not up for like trying that stuff and then going out. I'm not up for that. I, but if it leads to her having a restful night's sleep, man, I'm all yeah. in. Well, I think that uh, I'm going to write her a little script. But I will say, though, that this idea of her going in the other room and sleeping is no good. This happened to me, actually. And it wasn't because of sleep. But um, Rio, our daughter, was sleeping in our bed all the time. This is, I don't know, two years ago. And I ended up in Rio's room every single night. But it wasn't... You trade places. It wasn't in the middle of the night. I'd literally say, good night, love you girls, and then I'd go into Rio's room. And she'd go in your spot. Yeah. And after a while, I was like, this is not healthy. Like, I need to be with my wife. I need to be sleeping in bed with her. There's a disconnect that happened. I you know, I agree. Where I'm like, all right, peace. And I go and I, I get on my phone and in the bedroom and I'm just like living my life in, in Rio's room, you know, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Surrounded by my little pony. And it was a cab- a a very girly off. room, a very pink room. And <laughs> that's Barbies why you slept and- so well. Did oh, you, by the way, did I'll you wear you her stuff to go to sleep? Like a little uh, nightgown? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you though. I slept amazing. I mean, it was really fantastic. Well, I let me like tell let me ask you this, right? But but not, but separate from that, if if I go on this Whoop app, and and mm-hmm. I really do like the Whoop because if it does at least quantify how your day is going, mm-hmm. whether it's exercise, your recovery from the day before, mm-hmm. your sleep, and at least putting it in categories where if it's not exactly correct with the numbers, at least it's relative to the days before it and you know that yesterday i got a good night's sleep today you know i didn't or whatever so it's it's all relative and i like it for that reason but one of the questions they ask you when you go into the sleep area on the whoop app 
and again, I'm a fan of it, is did you share your bed? And, mm. and they want, people will tell you, uh, experts will tell you that your temperature in your room, and this is another issue between Michelle and me, it should be like mid-60s in your room mm-hmm. for the best mm-hmm. sleep. And yes. that, that being a qualification, were you in bed with you know, somebody else or were you sleeping alone leads you to believe that their thought is sleeping alone probably allows you a chance for a better night's sleep because you're not dependent on somebody else rolling around. Sure. I mean, that that's it has you it has to be, right? But to what is it detrimental to your relationship? You know, Aaron right. Aaron Aaron is a sleep insane person. Like that is her number one thing. Sleep is all she cares about. She it's like me with fishing and golf. I mean, Sleep is so important to her. She has 8,000 pillows that are set up perfectly for her arm and her legs and this, this, and that. And when she doesn't get a good night's sleep, it really affects her, you know? I don't get that way. If I don't get a good night's sleep, which is like every night, I'm I'm okay. I I can function. I'm still here. I'm alive, you know? Um, (laughs) But that's that's why we need to get sleep number to sponsor this show so we can get a cool bed. And we can set the different temperatures on either side and really curate yeah. our sleeping experience. You know, there's there's value in that, and and I think, you know, I I do agree with Aaron, and I think it's smart that anybody you talk to, if you talk to a talk to a psychologist, talk to a psychiatrist, they will all the road always ends up at sleep. Mm-hmm. And if you yep. do not get restful, beneficial sleep, it, it opens you up to so much, it, it, especially Ugh. mentally. I mean, you know, I had a grandfather who passed away with Alzheimer's and, and, you know, there are direct links in some of the studies that I've seen, haven't dived deep into, but where a lack of deep sleep is that will, you know, mm-hmm. eventually oh. that chips away at your the health of your brain, Insanely. which I, I agree with. Oh, me too. And I, I I ignore it because I'm a night owl. I don't sleep as well as I can. You know, it's not important to me where it probably should be more important to me. Um, I'm amazed you I, get up I as early as sleep. you do. I'm I'm when I text you and it's nine thirty in St. Louis and it's seven thirty out where you are and you I respond. Just, I'm I like, just fucking get man. up. I just get up now. It's just the way it is. But my kids. The boys had a the boys pulled an all nighter uh, on Saturday night, and I think it was a secret plan of theirs. You know, Aaron was away for the weekend. It was me with the kids, and I get up to pee or whatever, and I hear him. It's like three in the morning. I'm like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" <laughs> and they're like, "We're doing an all nighter." I'm like, "Oh my god! All right, go to sleep." And then. At 5 a.m., they come in. They're like, Dad, can we go on like a, a, a sunrise walk, the two of us? I'm like, all right, fine. Go for it. I was ex- I was dead asleep. Full-on all-nighter, you know? That's crazy. Some- I don't know why. Because it's like they wanted to see if they could do it, you know? They wanted to they wanted to see if they could pull it off. And, of course, then they slept, you know, for half the day. Right. Yeah, I mean, but but that just tells you, you know, your body. And they're young, so it's a different thing. But... I'm just here to tell you, like, as, as, and I know this gets got to be 
tiresome for our listeners to hear me talk about 51 years old and three-year-old twin boys and blah 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 it's just so repetitive but when you get up running at seven by the end of the night 7 p.m 8 p.m my my patience level is at negative 50 and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm i'm done like i i'm done Mm -hmm. and and so it's easy for me to kind of spin around. If I just if they went to bed and then I walked out of their room, went right to my room and went to bed, I'd be so much better off. But it's like, how do I want to spend every waking moment kind of being the 52-year-old dad with three-year-old twins or do I want a minute to myself where I could read mm-hmm. something or I can yeah. watch something or I can, you know, learn how to yeah. knit. N- knit. I was going to say that. Mm-hmm. No, I know. I I like I need my time. I like my time. The problem is, is I, I I force myself to stay awake. I'm watching a show and I'm binging it more and I'm fucking ah, you know. And and I'm like, I need to go to sleep. I need to go to bed. And then I don't because I I fight it. But I always have fought sleep. Always since yeah. I was a baby. Howie Mandel is here. Hi, Howie. Hey. Are you? Uh, I don't want. I didn't want to speak up because I didn't want to wake you. No, <laughs> no, we're, just, know, we're talking about sleep and the importance of sleep. And I'm a 52 year old dad with older daughters and now three year old twin boys. And I'm just worn out. And I'm wondering for somebody like you, especially when times were normal and you're on the road and all over the place and doing shows and up at night and humming at night. And now you got to how what's sleep when you think of sleep? How important is that for you? Um, it's, uh, it's something I've been chasing my entire life. I've been very open about my mental health issues and anxiety. Quiet time is not good for me. I don't sleep. My mind, uh, moves uh, a million miles a second, even though I'm, I'm medicated and, uh, I kind of just don't go into wherever there's a bed until I'm ready to totally pass out. And if I do that, then that lasts, I, I think the longest is maybe three hours. I mean, and then I'll, I'll get up oh and then go God. back. But, you know, and I was doing that even when the kids, my kids like you, uh, I have three kids all grown. I, I and then I have grandkids. Mm. So, you know, I, maybe I'm just colicky. <laughs> <laughs> you have not come out of the colic phase yet, huh? That's it. And there is nobody that's willing to hold me and burp me throughout the night. <laughs> do you do you have a routine though? I mean, like to get in bed, do you have like a sleep routine where it's like, okay, this is what I do to get into bed. And I got six pillows and I got to put one under my arm or do you just I pass have out? Those kind of routines. And now the routine has been dwindled down to just a, a bunch of gummy bears. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is what I was talking about, Howie. You know, Michelle, his wife, is has problem with sleeping. I'm like, eat some indica gummies. I mean, that's going it's to help best. you. Yes, it, I know. And, no, there's no residual effect in the morning. You know, it, I know that people, I have friends that take Ambien in that, and I, that kind of can screw you up. Gummies. I'm not here to recommend, or I'm not. I'm not sponsoring any particular brand, but I'm telling you. <laughs> answer to gummies have been my answer to everything during the pandemic mm-hmm. yes i think so i think that industry has definitely upticked since the pandemic it's it amazing. is drive if you drive around the valley here you know there's a big lineup at trader joe's and every dispensary mm-hmm. see i live in st louis 
and it's it's not as readily available. In fact, it's not really available at all uh, for you- somebody like me. I, maybe I don't know. I haven't really, I, honest to God, I haven't chased that down. So I don't I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't know if it's chased, but first of all, is it legal in your state? I, in Missouri, I, are you in Missouri? I, I'm in Missouri, so yeah. I, I, th- I feel like it's it's. Hanging in the balance. I don't even know. I, it's sad for me to even admit that, but I, I, I don't even know. And if it's not legal and open like it is in California, it's probably legal medically. So yeah, they right. get a note from their doctor to get uh, to help you sleep. It's not really. It's not really like uh, you know. I'm not using it for uh, to go to a party and have. <laughs> I don't go to parties. But <laughs> <laughs> only party. Be lying all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what about your creativity? I mean, do don't you find it to be a, a create, a inspire creativity at all? No, you know? not no. at all. No, I know that a lot of people. I, I'm always, I was always fascinated growing up when I would go to a concert and I see these people who are high or drunk or whatever, and they have the ability to play guitar and sing at the same time and do. No, I have. I'm so in my own mind when I'm on a, one time over the 40 years, I went on stage pre pre gummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought I was hysterical. I thought <laughs> I was great. And you know that, that adage, if you can just make one person laugh, you're doing your job. It was me. It was only, <laughs> and I felt like I had done a great job and I thought I was so creative and this is the way. And I learned that no, no, yeah, for me, yeah. For me, my, uh, you know, I kind of, it's like parenting, you know, I kind of learned as I went and I learned that uh, th- this doesn't do well for me. Alcohol mm-hmm. or, or drugs does not enhance, hey, but I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that it does. And, and yet you mm-hmm. were all, you were around all of that stuff in that community. I mean, when you see the specials and the, the laugh factory and the comedy store, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's on, it's equal parts, you know, it's, it's inspiring to see these people that are so creative. And then it's just depressing. We're seeing the lifestyle that goes along with it. I, I would imagine maybe seeing it around you is what kept you, away from it you're seeing other people struggling no with anxiety stuff? anxiety and there you know i'm i'm t- totally my entire life and uh, and i genetically pass it on to my kids i'm you know neurotic and i'm uh, afraid of things and i'm afraid of getting sick and i'm afraid of things happening it was it's imperative my whole life to try to grasp as much control as possible you know and the 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 thought of not being in control and being at the mercy of whatever is in is 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 terrifying to me mm-hmm. so so that even when i go to the dentist i don't allow him to give me the gas i don't allow i had a, a wisdom tooth pulled without being put under i think yeah. now you know i'm i'm 65 and now i'm a little bit okay I, i'm okay with being put under i didn't want to be mm-hmm. up for a colonoscopy but mm-hmm. uh, i can't mm-hmm. imagine that would be like to be up for but that. How, how does how does your anxiety manifest itself? Because I, you know, I've talked about it on the show, but I've went, you know, I'm 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 a pretty sensitive person. I went through in my mid twenties a year of gnarly anxiety, not even be able to leave my house, throwing up on the sidewalks, trying to be an actor, trying to fight through it. I meditated, you know, I wrote in my journal, and eventually I had to get on Selexa just to take the sort of just to dull it down to nothing, you know, but it went away. It still exists, but does it manifest in you in a certain way? Well, you know, you're, you're a lot younger than me, but you know, it does. 
and I find that, you know, with our body chemistry, it goes in ebbs and flows in our, in our lifetime. You know, there are times Mm -hmm. really worse, worse, and it feels like it's insurmountable. The, the key is, and what's great about it, Oliver, is the, even the fact that you're willing to talk about it and be open about it. I think there's a stigma involved and we all need coping skills and we need coping skills for whatever our own emotions and and whatever wells up inside. And we're not, get, you know, we don't take care of our mental health like we take care of our dental health. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows, regardless of feeling any pain or anything, you go to the dentist a few times a year to get a, a cleaning and x-rays and you go, look, mom, no cavities and that, but nobody is there in check in your life to ask you questions. And I know, you know, this mm-hmm. is a podcast is called daddy issues. I mean, it's, it's unfathomable that we're allowed to have children and they hand you this, this package to take home from the hospital and you put it in the car, the pressure and the anxiety that, that mm-hmm. over. Like, but you don't have to have a mental health issue of depression. You don't have to have anxiety. You don't have to be something that is even diagnosable or, or helped with uh, the coping skill of, of uh, taking a medication. Just that kind of pressure all of a sudden, yeah. just, it, 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 you know, uh, frees you. I can't mm-hmm. do anything. Got these humans at home that I'm responsible for is like over fucking whelming. To, mm-hmm. to oh, agree. God. It's crazy. I mean, I still, I asked my wife the other day because I'm, I'm a bit nuts, right? And I said, do you ever worry that I'm just going to completely lose my fucking mind? And, and she looked at me and she's like, I mean, kind of. And I was laughing because I have these moments of, I'm stable now and, and I've done a lot of work on myself. But, you know, I always, there's this back of my mind fear that one day I'm just going to lose it. And then that's it. Then what? What happens to my kids? And of course, that thought itself creates anxiety. And it's just that well, that's nasty, one, vicious that's cycle. A, that's one of my biggest fears. And I've always said, you know, a, a couple of things that I've been open about are OCD and other things. I have a lot more than that. But I kind of understand, you know, Howard Hughes, who ended up, he had everything going for him, who ended up naked, living naked alone in a room, peeing into a bottle. I can't tell you how close to that I am, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> maybe want to be that that kind of looks like an easier place to be than sometimes life. The biggest fear I had was besides me going crazy, that it would damage uh, my children, you know, mm. and the apple doesn't fall far from a tree. I mean, maybe later on, you'll you'll meet my daughter. I'm doing a podcast. Yeah, with her. we hope to. But, yeah. Yeah. But she also, you know hasn't got gone out in a year, you know, and I go, you can go out, you're young, I'm 65, but she's, you know, uh, and I don't know if it's nature versus nurture. I don't know what, what it is, but she's crazy neurotic and mm-hmm. I feel responsible. I think she grew up in the house. You're, you're, uh, are you close to your dad anymore? It's funny you even asked that. I mean, because we're just re- we've been reestablishing our relationship over the last couple of years, I hadn't talked to him in twelve or thirteen years, and um, you know, I put out a, a an Instagram post two years, three years ago on on Father's Day, and it was a picture of myself and my sister and him in better times. And I said, "Happy Abandonment Day!" And I was, oh my god, I was, I was being funny. I have a dark sense of humor, and I thought I was just being an asshole and being funny, and it blew up into this whole thing. And I've told this story before, but basically, in a roundabout way. Uh, it was what we needed to get back together again. 
And we had conversations and we had lunches and breakfasts. And now we're on a texting sort of relationship. We see each other now and again. Um, so, yeah, I finally have someone of a so relationship the with him. I'm asking is because we bought the house that my daughter grew up in with us. We bought from your dad. You know, do you know that? Which which house? I mean, uh, Hidden Hills. Oh, shit. Really? You lived in you grew up in that house. She grew up in that house. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, yeah oh, we, uh, my God. Uh, that's crazy. You know who lives in there now is Taylor Hawkins from uh, Foo Fighters. Yeah. The drummer, oh, right? My and he, the, God. Yeah, the, Foo Fighters. But that, uh, but uh, Cindy Williams and Bill Hudson yeah. Yeah. Uh, built this house really. I bought it from them. And Jackie, who you'll meet a little later, grew up in that house. But I think you were at least living part-time in that house when we bought it. I was, yeah. So we, it was, it, it, went, it was going really well for a while and then it all fell off the map. But yeah, I remember that Hidden Hills house. I loved Hidden Hills. I love that house. That's yeah. very cool. That's and a that great was coincidence. Or it became, uh, yeah. yeah, kind of known. The Kardashians moved into the neighborhood that's, and it's, that's uh, right. But we <laughs> moved right. in there to escape to get away from LA. I didn't want to raise my kids right in the city. And yeah. I thought that I couldn't imagine being any, I, I, I balked with my wife. I didn't, I felt like I was living on another planet out here. Mm. It, 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 it would have been better to escape to Hollywood than it would be out <laughs> here because in, in uh, Jackie's age, in my daughter, my oldest daughter, who you'll meet, I have three kids. She ended up going to Calabasas. And at that time, in her age group, it was the worst time to go to Calabasas mm. because um, I think about three or four movies were made about the kids in her years that she was. One was Alpha Dog with Justin oh, Timberlake. Yeah, I remember that movie. Yep, I was in class with all those kids. That's the drug dealer that killed the other kid. Yeah, you know, because up the, in the hills there. Yeah. And she was in the class with the kids. I think there's another movie called 13. Oh, it was 13 was based was based on that, huh? Was based yeah. on a Calabasas situation. Yeah. I oh, ended wow, up, I didn't know that. Bro, I ended up, you know, I, I have this reputation that precedes me as being this silly, funny comic, but I'm a really serious parent. And I mm -hmm. can't tell you how many times I had to go and, and uh, physically, you know, she would tell me she's someplace, I would find her. And she wasn't where she said, and I'd walk into a party and physically have to drag her out of it. She hated me. From <laughs> so I know those dark times. And I've told the story before, but I'll, I'll tell it really quickly. You know, we were really worried about the kids that were there in Calabasas. And my wife and I would uh, think that we were being incredibly diligent, you know, so we'd go through her phone at, at that time when you guys were coming up uh, it, uh the internet wasn't a big issue i don't know how people are dealing with that now but mm -hmm. uh drugs were you know so i go into her room and i find a canister a 35 millimeter film canister and i open it up and there's weed in there and i fuck i go you know i go i'm and my says, what are you gonna do and i go i'm taking care of this now and I, and I got into the car i drove to the school i drove to calabasas high and go to the office and i go where is Jackie Mandel. And they go, she's in history class right now. And I knew where history was. And I just start peeling out of the office, up the stairs, and the lady in the office going, Mr. Mandel, you can't, you can't. I go, and I'm just ignoring. And I go up, I'm kitchen, and I go into the, up to the class, and I look in the window, and everybody's very, you know, in, I, they, it turns out they were taking a test. I didn't know. I walk in the room, and I go, Jackie, Jackie, 
you come with me. She goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? I go, never mind. You just come with me. And I grab her arm and I'm being kind of forceful and down the hall. She goes, what are you, this is so embarrassing. I go, you will see, you will see young lady. And I take her down the stairs and I, down the hall. And the lady from the office is going, Mr. Mandel, you can't do this. I'm going to report you. You can't do this. And I, and I, I get her into the car and she goes, dad, this is horrific. I'm never going to be able to go back to the school again. And I, what are you doing? And I go, you will see. And I drive her home and I open the door and I pass her mother and I go into the room and I grab the canister and I go, young lady, what is this? And she takes it and she goes, this is my fish food. And I go, I know. Just wanted to make sure <laughs> eating the fish. I grab her, I put her back in the car. I drive her back to the oh school. Oh my God. Me for a year. That's unbelievable. Oh, and yet God. with all that and you're you're thinking you're screwing your kids up and you're diligent and you know you're a serious parent, I feel like it takes 5 minutes looking at your social media to know and and I don't know you at all, but everybody feels like they do that you're getting all of that back. Like you are I feel like you're so close with your kids, you, you're about to do a podcast starting mid-April with your daughter, Jackie. You have these other two beautiful kids. You've had a, a wife that you two of you have been together forever. So with all that being said and all the neuroses and everything else, you're getting it all back now as a 65-year-old man. You've got to be so proud as you look back to what you've done. I am so proud, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it's a bumpy road the whole way. It's a crazy, bumpy road that, you know, that that's a funny story that I just told you now. But in the midst of it, it was mm -hmm. a, a horror show. It's always a horror show in the in the middle of it. But they're funny stories at the end, you know. Well, you know, what's crazy, though, is, is it, times have changed so much, you know, because I have thir a 13, 11, and a 7-year-old, two boys and a little girl. You know, they're 13. My boys' 13-year-old friends are getting into shit that I never even thought of at that age. And now I have to have these conversations with him that are almost too old but are necessary because he's entering a space where he needs to know. And Snapchat is crazy because there's these drug dealers on Snapchat. He has a friend who literally, uh, you know, was potentially abused trying to buy weed that was laced with fentanyl. I mean, there's so much happening now. So it's scary. And you almost, I feel like instead of letting them discover it for themselves, I almost have to explain it to them. Say, look, here's what's going to happen. This is what's happening nowadays. If but you're interested in marijuana, you're 44. You don't even. I'm 44. You, you're not in control. You're not in control. No. Who they? Who has access to their minds? You know, with the internet. You know, I. I it's crazy. I mean, I it's, it's. I don't think I would have been able to survive it. You know, I think it was. It was. I was always a, a detective. Where is she? Where did she say yeah. she's going to? I would find her. I'd be going through those canisters and things like I don't know what I would do with the Internet. It's scarier now being a parent than it is. I, that's why I'm so thrilled to be a grandparent. Yeah. Had I known that being a grandparent was going to be this good, I would have done that first. <laughs> I would well, you would have been more into potentially one of your daughters getting pregnant early. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's right. Hey, if you like uh, conversations with comedians like on today's episode, go check out the Daddy Issues archives. And somehow we got Bill Burr to sit down with us. And if you're a fan of Bill Burr, you will not be disappointed. He is, for lack of a better description, Bill Burr. 
You know, I was thinking about it the other day as far as like, you know, wanting to live to 100. The sadness of living that long, you know, because I just lost a buddy the other day and, you know, we're all devastated. But his funeral is going to be crazy. It's going to be amazing. All of us pouring our hearts out and doing all of this stuff. But if you live to be 100, all your friends are dead. And then you got all yeah. these young people that didn't know you in the prime of your life. So then they're just up there, hey, you know, he, he just loves sitting on that porch. And you're just laying in the cat. Like, I did more than that. I was a wild man. You know, you got to give, there's got to be the sweet spot of where you die where you lived a full life and you're also going to get like, uh, uh, you're going to get a good eulogy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after the short break with more from today's guest, Howie Mandel. Did having kids change your neuroses at all or put them into any sort of a perspective? You know, because it's not all about you anymore. It's about them and and I say this because my mother said something to me in the middle of my anxiety once she gave me some tough love she was very supportive but then at at one point she said Oliver it's not all about you it come outside of yourself a little bit you know what I mean well you know that's pretty smart because I, I ended up going to therapy my wife gave me an ultimatum and the ultimatum was if you don't go get help and you know in my generation people didn't get help mm-hmm. you know and I, been about 20 years since I got help. And she said, if you don't get help now, I'm out and I'm mm-hmm. taking the kid. And what in therapy is what my therapist, the one thing that rings in order to try to be healthy and make it and get through life is she said that, you know, nobody has to live in your world. You have to live in theirs. And what was happening is I was just trying to control and especially with kids, you know, you can't control my, my biggest thing. One of my biggest anxieties were germs and getting sick. And we have, so like I would be through the roof. I built a, uh, you know, on that house that I bought, I built a guest house mm. in the back. And the, mm-hmm. the reason guest house, it wasn't really a guest house. It was a place for me to live if I heard a sniffle. It was a mm. place for me to live if they coughed. I wouldn't be in, and I used the, uh, the perfectly seemingly normal excuses. I'd go, listen, I'm on the road. You know, if I get sick, I can't cancel concerts. So I'm just going to move out while the kids have the flu or I'm going to move out when the kid's coughing or I'm really upset because uh, my daughter touched the receiver on my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody backing up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't even know what that is. It's the wrecking ball. Sounds like an alarm. I think it's time to wake up. Am I not up? Am I doing this no, in my... this is, yeah. Yeah, this you're dreaming. An anxiety dream. <laughs> And yet, and yet, throughout all of this, Howie, now we've all kind of taken a page out of your playbook, going yeah. through what we've gone through, and I can see it. I mean, I've I've lightened the reins a little bit, but at the beginning, it was like, oh my god, I just touched an ATM, and I'm just death scrubbing my hand and trying to get those germs off, and it's all about you know the the gel and putting it all over my hands and masks and everything else, and now. We've caught up to you somehow with uh, with the right. pandemic. When you say you touched an ATM, is that an acronym for yeah. an attractive tall man? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh huh. Oh, I have so many thoughts. You on know, that. people have asked me that a lot, and the truth is that this has not been. You know, this is the life that I've been living for sixty five years. But if there was any solace for me, it was always 
you know, everybody around assuring me it's okay. You know, don't mm -hmm. worry. It's, hey, you're not going to die. You're not going to, you know, you did do that. But the, the problem is now when it's real, it's, misery is not enjoying company. And uh, it's throughout this year, I've uh, moved my therapist into a whole new tax bracket. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my, my pharmaceuticals have doubled. You know, I'm taking whatever is prescribed and the gummies are my life. Yeah. It's been it's been really 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 difficult and but 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 is 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 being open about it freeing for you you know is it you know, is, does it feel good I don't know if I told I don't know if you guys know the story I, I did a book about five six years ago and uh, well probably more than that but I talk about how the moment so. It was never in my coming up in the 60s and the 50s. And, you know, I was an odd kid who didn't have any friends who didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't diagnosed, but I have severe ADHD and depression and anxiety. And they, that kind of informed how I acted. I don't have a, a GED. I couldn't sit in class. And then finally, my wife gave me this ultimatum and I went and I got help, but still didn't talk about it. And then uh, about 20, 25 years ago, I'm on the Howard, I'm on Howard Stern show. And he, pardon me. I love Stern, man. I've heard, yeah, you, I've heard, I've, I've heard you on Stern all every, every yeah, time you've so been on Stern. Yeah. I, I, I think it was the guy for that did that play puppetry of the penis. You know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the don't know, it's a guy. <laughs> yeah. They can create characters with their, penis yeah, anyway like he, snails uh, and animals and it's a shadow show sometimes where you do the right or like, yeah if you took a if you hired a guy to do balloon animals at your kid's party right. it's like yeah. and went, Fuck, i forgot the balloon <laughs> do it with my dick <laughs> <laughs> come on kids gather around you want to see a doggy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, but this guy's sitting beside me. He's playing with his dick and he's and, and, and I'm a germaphobe and I'm just going like, where is he going to wash his hands? Where is he going? I don't want to touch anything this guy touches in the room. And I'm it, we weren't zooming like we're doing now. I'm sitting right beside this guy who's just all over. His I can't believe penis. you'd even sit on that couch. We, well, I had a separate chair. I had a separate chair. This was in radio. This is years ago. This yeah, but is, all the I, things that have happened in that studio, and I'm a oh, huge yeah, fan no, too. No, you're I mean, right. My God. You're right. You're right. And I've looked at those stains, and I've, I, I've actually, <laughs> uh, pants I've worn on Stern, uh, the, I, they've been discarded yeah, okay. shortly after. <laughs> but anyway, this guy leaves, and like in the movies when you see the the Terminator, who that, that kind of uh, uh, computer, like CSI. That like, readout, where, yeah. <laughs> His hand touched the doorknob. He turns the doorknob and he leaves. And then I can't focus on anything but that fucking doorknob. And Howard is still talking to me. And it's like an old Charlie Brown movie uh, shows where the kids are listening to the teacher. And they just. I'm just thinking, how the fuck am I going to get out of here? He finishes the, the interview and I go to the, the door and I say to, will somebody open the door for me? And they go, why? And I go, he touched his dick and now he touched the doorknob. I can't, I don't want to touch it. They go, open the door. And I go, I'm not going to open the door. And I try to do it with a uh, the the tail of my uh, shirt and somebody, I can't remember if it's Fred or somebody knocks the shirt out of my hand and says, no, 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 just open the door. Then I go to grab a tissue. There's tissue sitting there to do that. And they knock that out of the way and they're all laughing. And then for whatever reason, 
I started having a panic attack mm. and a panic attack for those that don't know, you know, I think I'm having a heart attack. I can't breathe. My mm. heart is going and I panicked. And I said, Howard, this is not a joke right now. I go and I see a psychiatrist. I've been diagnosed. I'm medicated. I have something called obsessive compulsive disorder. And if you want to call 911 now, you're going to have to in a minute because I'm about to pass out. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, and they open the door and they let me out in the hallway. And as mm-hmm. I go out in the hallway, I can hear the broadcast is still going on over the speakers. And I was sure that we were in a commercial. I didn't know. And I'm, as I hear that, I go, fuck, you know, this just went out throughout the nation. Number one, I'm horribly embarrassed and beside myself, but more importantly, number one, I figure my poor kids and my wife are at home. I have just humiliated. I've just told them that I'm a mental case and they're going to have to go to school and they're going to have to hear it. Their life is never going to be the same. That's number one. Number two, anytime you and I work, whatever uh, a production cost is millions of dollars, who's going to want to hire? I know there's insurance. Who's going to want to hire somebody who said that they have a mental health problem? This is where I was like 25 years ago. So it's over. So I said, there's nothing I can do. I got to end it now. I got to end it. I'm going to run into traffic. And I mm. go down the elevator. I'm in Manhattan. It's like the busiest place in the world. And, and I'm in that elevator and I'm in the darkest place. I can feel like my heart just drop into my stomach. I get out to the lobby and I look out through the glass doors and there's a teeming traffic of Manhattan. And I make my way to the glass door and the glass door opens and I'm out on the sidewalk and I'm just waiting. Like, there's no, this is the end. This is the last couple of Mm -hmm. minutes as life as I know it. And uh, lo and behold, a guy comes up in my periphery. I don't make any eye contact. And he goes, are you Howie Mandel? And and I just, I just kind of grunted. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, I just heard you on Stern. And even more, that just sucked my insides, just got darker. And he said to me, and this is years ago, so this is before Mm -hmm. this meant something else. But Mm -hmm. he just said, felt in my ear, he goes, me too. And I went, Mm. what the fuck is that? What's me too? He goes, no, I suffer. I'm anxious too. And I also have depression. It's so great that you talked about it. And I went, yeah. And And it was the first time when you have these kind of moments that you just talked about, Oliver, that the one overwhelming feeling that we all share is we're alone and nobody understands because when you're with your own thoughts and your own, like you don't, and there's nothing more comforting to know than you're not alone and other Mm -hmm. people gotten through the other side of this. And that was way before the internet, you know, he kind of woke me up then, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I got flooded with mail going, how much this helped, how great it Mm. was. And that was the moment where I realized that the biggest help I had for me personally, that's a long way to answer your question, is talking Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Yeah, But it's beautiful. I mean, there's, there's some like, whether I don't know what you believe in or don't, but I mean, there is some divine intervention there somehow that 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 got out when you didn't think it was going to it's like you've been outed as somebody that right that you're trying to keep this all in and then you go down and somebody walks up to you having just heard it and gives you that kind of affirmation uh, just unsolicited and that's led to all this and think of the number of people you've helped i believe in what you're saying i believe that there is something greater than us That, you know, and that's why my philosophy to my children and in life now is the same philosophy as Nike. And that's just do it. And I think that our 
as human beings, and this is what I've tried to teach my children, I think what puts us above the animal species is our instinct. And instinct is, is our instinct is right and brilliant. I think our thinking is not so bright and brilliant. And I think that what happens is we want to do something or we're offered something or we're going to do something or something's presented in front of us. Instinctually, I think we know what to do. But when we make that decision that we're going to do it, then we think about it. We go, well, if I do that, you know what could happen? Or remember what happened last time I did something like that? And we stop ourselves, you know? And Mm -hmm. if it just happens, like that knee-jerk reaction of me talking to Howard about it, if we just do it, good will come out of it. Even if Mm -hmm. that good is really painful and hard, good will come out of it. And I think that we all go through life going, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know, the thing is, you just talked to Oliver about the 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 tweet or whatever that was online about the, the happy day of abandonment. I mm-hmm. think you just thought that was kind of funny and you did it. I think if mm-hmm. you would have given it a lot more thought, which you shouldn't have done, you mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have done it. Right. Because, you oh, this could be taken the wrong way or this can come off sarcastic or maybe this comes off mean or maybe it makes me look like an asshole. So I'm not going to do it. And if you didn't do it, then you wouldn't have had the opportunity to reconnect. So I think that even the things that we do without thought that turn out badly are positives because even that bad turn, you've learned, you've gotten some information. And if that path show itself again, you kind of know what to do with it because you've been through it. So I'm from day one, I didn't realize it. I wasn't able to articulate it, but that's what I do. It happens to be a product of what I'm, inflicted with, you know, with ADHD, uh, you don't have, uh, you don't think about ramifications. You know, you just do these knee jerk. I'm very impulsive. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, by virtue of who I am, even the reason you're talking to me today, I'm a comedian. I wasn't, I didn't pursue comedy. This was a dare. I went in the mid seventies to a comedy club because there was this big comedy boom I heard about. I'd never been to a comedy club and I'm not a dancer. Disco was big. I wasn't a club goer. I went to a comedy club and then the, the host said, you know, if anybody wants to try their wares at this, uh, the, wants to try to work it out here, we're open at, at midnight. And uh, how old were you? 22. And the, the it was uh, April 19th, 1977. And, oh. and, the, and they said the people at the table went, I dare you to get up. I went, OK, no thought to what this is going to lead to. It's just I thought it was just a funny uh, thing to do. And the joke for me was, um, they're going to go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And I'm not even a comedian. I just, this is going to be so fucking weird. And, and I don't, I didn't think things through. Right. And if, if you look at my old YouTube stuff, the first time I went on stage to, to do this, I, I go on stage and they go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel, I had no preparation no nothing. Be- and then I go out. I think this is the joke. And the people are applauding like they should after an introduction. And then the applause <laughs> dies down. And then I'm standing there at the microphone. And you've all you've both been on the stage that I'm blinded by the uh, by the spotlight. But I can see the people at the front. And there's this these strange faces look up looking up at me going. Now what? Funny boy. And, mm-hmm. and I got, I just remember, I got so overwhelmed with terror. I just, it just hit me. Fuck, fuck. I, I'm, I'm now I'm, I feel like I'm in that nightmare where you show up at a party naked, you know, <laughs> and I got to come up with something and I started to panic. And, and I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to think of some, okay, 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 okay. And if you look at my old YouTube, 
It's very different. I'm the very different comic, but it's still really authentic. It was me just trying to come up with shit and I had nothing. And I would go, okay, okay, okay. All right. Okay. Let me think of something. Okay. And, and then they would start giggling and I'd go, yeah. what, 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 what are you giggling at? And then yeah. I got stupid things like, please don't laugh. It throws me off. And I was also <laughs> afflicted with OCD and I carried a rubber glove and I had, I, I put my hands in my pocket and I felt my rubber glove and I, I took it out and because, for lack of anything to do, I pulled it over my head and I started breathing with my nose and the fingers were going up and the audience is roaring. And then I blew it up with my nose and I popped it off my head and they applauded. And I went, good night, just to get the fuck out of there. And Mark <laughs> Breslin, Mark Breslin, who is the host of Yuck Yucks in Toronto, said, you got to come back tomorrow. And I went, for what? He goes, do it again. <laughs> and I go, do what? He goes, do what you did. I said, I did fucking nothing. And, and, and that was my act was nothing. When I came out to L.A., like months later, my I had made friends with, uh, do you know who Mike Binder is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so Mike Binder had come to Yuck Yuck, so that's where I saw him. He got me on at the comedy store, and I got seen uh, I got seen by a bunch of people. I got a young comedian special. On my young comedian special, the four kids, and if you watch it, it's on TV. It, I mean, it's on YouTube. On my young comedian special, it's me, Jerry Seinfeld, Harry Anderson and Richard Lewis. And it's hosted wow. by the, the Smothers Brothers. And it's wow. me. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Oh, <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> I had absolutely nothing. And that propelled me into playing arenas. That crazy. is amazing. The, 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 the crazy irony of it all is you've chosen the most anxiety-ridden profession. You know, it's like fucking getting on stage. I can't think of something more terrifying it's almost weird it's that you're leaning into what you're most afraid of. Or, except or, I will yeah. tell you, except I will tell you, you're absolutely right. But that moment on stage, which I've been trying to recapture ever since, in that moment, it's kind of like my analogy is I love thrill rides. I love going on a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. In that, The scarier it is, the closer you think you're coming to death, the higher it is, the more you go upside down, the better it is. If you went on that car and it just, you know, went slowly through a breezy bunch of trees. It would be boring and you would never go on again. In that moment of exhilaration on stage, that is living in the now like no other. I, I have no other thoughts. I'm not mm -hmm. worried about what might happen. I'm not right. thinking what happened then. That's you are the only in the moment. I, You're as present as you could possibly get right then. So with everything I've done in my career with, you know, St. Elsewhere and hosting and being on AGT, the, the one thing that I crave and need and the one thing I'll never give up is uh is stand up yeah, in that's, fact that's been the hardest thing for me during this pandemic and that's i i don't feel any real connection or fear you don't have the same anxiety getting on zoom and talking to somebody or yeah. doing it so that's been really hard for me and that's what i talked to my therapist the, about. the quote you have that stuck out to me and it's what you're talking about is no i don't rehearse i'm more comfortable in my discomfort i identify right. with that so so much if i'm if i'm doing a super bowl and I know that 100 million people are on the other side of that camera, and we're doing our little stand-up thing at the beginning that nobody ever pays attention to, but it's still pretty intimidating knowing that theoretically 100 million people are listening to what you're saying. Right. I don't, I don't want to map it all out. I would rather just go and see what happens and be real than trying to come up with whatever I just tried 10 minutes before we went on. And I, 
that's a rehearsal sucks because you don't want to, for you, especially you don't want to burn your good stuff. You want to feel the moment. You want to get a natural laugh. You want to connect with people. And the minute you connect with them, now you can kind of feel it. And now that's where your mind really goes to work. Not three days before when you're sitting in your, in your hotel room, you know? Absolutely. And that's why, which brings me back to the beginning of this interview. That's why sleep is so important. I need to go to bed and be passed out because lying there, not sleeping in quiet time without any other distractions or anything to do brings me inside of myself. And then I'll start thinking about overthinking everything I've done, everything I'm going to do, how people were affected by what I've done. I'm scared about what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I, I can't, it's, it's such a noisy fucking mess in my head. Mm. I just need to be. What was what was childhood like? Like, where did you grow up? What was your relationship like with your parents? Amazing. Okay, so yeah. that's the thing. A lot of people came from, you know, a lot of comedians that came from dark places. I did. I had the board of wonderful parents who were the only ones on earth that ever found me funny. But I remember that they loved funny and laughter was the the you know was a, a big ingredient in my house. My dad was always buying. Um, comedy albums. My parents were up watching The Tonight Show. And I remember being like three or four years old. And I'd always hear laughter in the other room. But I did. And I wanted to be part of it. You understand what laughter is. But I didn't understand what they were laughing. At. You know, I walk in the room and there'd be a comedian on The Tonight Show talking, doing mother-in-law material. Mm. You know, I'm three. I don't even know what the fuck a mother-in-law is. What is mm -hmm. that even? So I didn't get it. The first time I felt anchored and this kind of speaks to who i am and what i've done the first time i felt anchored in as far as understanding uh, funny and and being invited to the party was it was a sunday night i was probably about four or five years old and my parents were watching candid camera mm -hmm. and i sat down and, and the host was alan funt and he was this old man that used to sit and explain to you really easily and simply what he's about to do you don't just, it doesn't unfold in front of you. He tells you. So he sat there and he said, I'm going to pretend I'm a boss. I'm going to hire a receptionist. I'm going to tell them the most important thing in the world is they do not miss a phone call. But here's the catch. Here's the desk with the phone. When the person goes to reach for the phone, you see this rope that's attached to the leg of the desk. It goes from the leg of the desk through this wall. We're on the other side. When she goes to reach for the phone, we're going to pull the rope. The desk is going to move across the room. She's not going to be able to get the phone and we'll see her face. First of all, I turned toward my father and mother and they're all laughing. It's that first time it was that anticipatory. It was a, a real feeling, that anticipatory feeling like of a surprise party. Mm -hmm. When you're hiding behind the couch and you go, Shh, close the light. She's coming up the driveway. She's coming up the driveway. You know, it's so exciting. And then the, the uh, receptionist sat down. The phone rang. She went to grab it. They pulled the rope. Her jaw dropped. She was like beside herself. And me and my father and my mother were in hysterics, uncontrollable, painful, crying hysterics. And I thought, oh my God, this is where, this is the moment I need to live it. It fucked me up a little bit because what happened was I, I didn't understand that I was watching a TV show and I mm. didn't have a TV show. I didn't understand the TV show has an audience. I didn't have an audience. And so I went to school and I would just do odd things that I knew 
were odd just to see people react, whether they were scared, whether they were awkward, whether they, that's how I got thrown out of school. I talk about, I, I didn't tell anybody, you know, I, I hired a, a company to put an addition onto the library. And I told the guy, I called, I called the, the, the yellow pages at the time. And I called a construction company and I said, you know, I'm calling, my name's Howie Mandel, Howard Mandel, and I'm calling from so-and-so collegiate. And we want to add another 40 feet onto the west side of the library. Could you come out and give us an estimate at about 3.30? I gave him a time knowing that I was going to be in math class so I could look out onto the field. Here's where the idiot in me is. I didn't tell a friend, wait till you see what I did, because that would make it kind of funny and make sense. I didn't tell anybody. It's just for me. So (laughs) I'm sitting math. I see a guy with a, you know, a clipboard and tape measure out the field. And I'm just, <laughs> just I'm, it, I, I'm coming off like a bigger mental case than I actually am. Giggling. Then I see the principal go out, the vice principal go out and talk to him. I'm even more beside myself and people are just rolling their eyes and I'm in class just sitting, bearing my head. going. <laughs> and I just, like a idiot a couple of seconds later we hear an announcement on the pa system will howard mandel please come down to the office and i go down the office and he goes did you hire did you hire a man to put an addition onto the library and really seriously i said no i'm getting three estimates (laughs) (laughs) here and he called my parents in and my parents you know were good responsible wonderful parents but with an amazing sense of humor they also knew that they had to you know keep a straight face because this the vice principal was livid and mm-hmm. he's explaining what I'm doing. And I could see my mother like biting her lip because she really just wants to laugh. And they did oh, laugh. Yeah. But I was doing stuff like that all the time. So I've always tried to relive that moment, that awkwardness. That, but you were supported that- though, right? You were supported that insanity, that beautiful insanity was supported by your parents, which they love. They, they I love that. that. That's so great. It's such a that, great moment. If your dad kind of, you know, gives you a little punch on the chest, that was a good one, kid. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's I mean, awesome. But I wanted, I was craving for people my own age and I didn't know how to garner that for people, my, my peers mm-hmm. to kind of think it was funny or join me. I didn't know. I didn't think even one step further to say, you know, just ask them. It's just say, Oliver, watch this. I hired this guy. Look out the window. That would have been more enjoyable. That would make mm-hmm. sense. Even to this day, my wife, my kids, you'll say, they go, who's the joke for? We mm-hmm. sit. And that's how we came up with the podcast. I <laughs> Jackie's day, smiling, by oh. the way. Jackie's up there smiling, by the way, listening to this. Oh, you hear? She's here. Is she here? I'm here. Oh, I'm listening. You should have seen. Oh, you should have seen the smile that I. That's all that I caught was the smile that came on her face when she popped on. You're on your phone, Howie. I think so. You don't know that she's on, and she's watching you talk and watching her watch you talk and smile is like the <laughs> coolest thing. I, I just love it. I could. It's so cute. It's so wonderful. It's, it's so nice that I have that now rather than what I described from uh, 16 to 20. Not fun, right, Jackie? No, no. But I love listening to these stories. Hi, everyone, by the way. Hi. Hi, Jackie. Hi. How dare you keep your fish food in a film canister? Oh, he you told little, you about that. <laughs> you little oh, yes. freak. Unbelievable. <laughs> I just wanted to say, though, it's so cool to hear these stories about when he was a kid with his parents, and I relive some of the same stories with you. Like, even when I was really little and I would tell a joke and get in trouble, he was always so proud that I told a joke. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of so the same great. thing. Yeah. It's so Oh, great. God. 
Well, that sense of humor, I think, is a sign of intelligence, personally. I, you know, I mean, it, it's uh, with my kids, I'm the same way. When, they, when they're funny and, you know, it's smart, yet it's inappropriate or they shouldn't be doing it, they get well, so he, many passes from me. That's the biggest thing right now me and Jackie constantly talk about. That's why we're doing this podcast together, because we were just sitting on the phone. I was doing prank calls. And, you know, inappropriate too soon is comedy. You know, mm-hmm. com- nothing nice happens in comedy, even for mm-hmm. a little kid. If you're if you're laughing at a clown at a circus falling down, what are you laughing at? You're laughing at somebody else's misfortune. Mm-hmm. You know, two people walk into a bar. Something horrible has to happen or embarrassing has to happen to one of them for it to be a joke. <laughs> so I think most yep. people don't have a sense of humor. What I loved about Jackie is. She had a sense of humor when everybody else was, you know. The story I, I can think I, about I'll, is a is the bee festival. When my first joke. That's ever. what I was saying. <laughs> right, but here's what was happening, Jackie. This is what I'll talk about. So they were freaking out. So this is pre-K, and they had you do an outside event, and in the outside, in this tent, a swarm of bees came. Now you have all these four and five year olds who possibly could get stung. <laughs> Nobody's got an epipen. Somebody right. can die. And, and everybody's screaming and running. And my kid, Jackie, goes, oh, look, it's a bee festival. <laughs> <laughs> she That's came amazing. home crying because she goes, I said, is, is that funny, Dad? And I go, That's funny. She goes, But nobody laughed. <laughs> I go, well, Welcome to my career. <laughs> you should have said, Wait, wait, okay, okay. What, do you, what are you laughing at? Okay, what? what nobody's <laughs> laughing? Wait, okay. That's what you've missed. You I just got in me. trouble. Oh my god! Ah, <laughs> uh, you just got in trouble for that. I th- I just just by way of so you guys are doing a podcast together. Right. That's starting in mid-April. My dad was a Hall of Fame broadcaster. I was lucky enough to go on road trips with him throughout my childhood, and and I think my entree into being able to do that was that I could genuinely make him laugh, and and certainly he made me laugh. We had that. Uh, that bond and I, he was a tough audience, but I could cut through and I could make fun of things that if anybody else did it, they'd get whacked. But eventually I worked my way as a 21 year old broadcasting Cardinal games with my dad in wow. the seat next to me. And we're doing games together. And the, the, the fun of that, the thrill of that, the emotion of that. I mean, to be able to want to do that with your child, I think is so cool that you two are going to do this, launch into this venture together. I, I'm excited for both of you. And, and, and I don't know who more. Well, I'll be more excited for me. I think it's better for me. She's got a whole. Yeah. I feel like you need this, Howie. No, but I no, but I'm saying that this is exciting. So this is we sit on the phone, me and Jackie, we talk every day, many times a day, even when we're not doing the, the podcast. In fact, the podcast has kind of screwed up our relationship a little bit because she goes, you want to hear a funny story? Uh, yeah, yeah. Save it for the podcast. Right. Yeah. yeah. Talk to you now. But, but the point is that, you know, we used to, we get on the phone and we'll do prank calls. We get on the phone. She did this. And this is part of our podcast too. Uh, she, uh, unbeknownst to him, signs her brother up on these on these dating sites and then communicates with the girls as if it's <laughs> oh my god it's so great but we were doing that anyhow and yeah. somebody 
why don't you record that and put it on the podcast? All the stuff that you're doing within the family, right, Jackie? Yeah, I just think it's fun because we've always pranked each other. We've always had fun. Jokes have been a huge part of our family since I was little. So now that I get to do that, not only with my dad, but with my whole family, we just had mom on the other day too when we were recording, which was hilarious. So I just love being able to do it with the whole family now. Who who makes you laugh? Je- I mean, I, your dad is is... America and Canada's, you know, friend and, and makes everybody laugh. But, but there has to be a real funny side to your mom that, that is gotta be beautiful to kind of let her go and, and show her, you know, her abilities to make people laugh. Can I be honest? My mom is way funnier than my dad. Sorry, dad. My mom (laughs) is, my mom is hilarious. Right. She's the funny one. Yeah. (laughs) amazing she's just just open for anything the thing is the kids sit around and they love and she'll she'll go for it you want to tell like one of the things we do on the podcast but she was doing it tell about uh talk about mom's paint (laughs) wow there's a sentence i've never heard (laughs) i can't wait i can't wait to hear this really you want to hear about her mom's paint yes i mean it's got to be good One of the funny things we do is we will say words that my mom has no clue what those words mean, what they are. Before the pandemic, when we would go out to dinner together as a family, she'd be like, what is that word? What does that mean? And we'd say, ask the waiter. And she would literally ask the waiter what all these words mean. The last one was taint. (laughs) What was another one? (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Did did she ask the the waiter? Yeah. 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 Public. What did the waiter say? He was very he nice. Turned red. He was very nice. <laughs> he got a good tip. The, the, the thing is that, that our favorite, and I think Jackie shares this with me, our favorite sense of humor. I don't like when somebody says, you want to hear a really funny joke? No. no. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not a, it's like you got to, for, it's just, it doesn't make me laugh because it didn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. a, a Jew and yeah. a priest not walk into that bar. And if, right. if they did and I wasn't there, it's not going to be funny because I didn't see it. What's really funny is and relatable is everybody's that moment that we talked about a candid camera, everybody's discomfort, everybody's mm-hmm. awkwardness, everybody feeling like a fish out of water. And anytime we can replicate that, that's our our families and my personal favorite yep. human. So yeah. even her to say the word, you know, she purposely, Jackie said the word, you know, the taint, just to try to get away with saying something in front of her mother. Her mother goes, mm-hmm. what is that word? Taint? Oh, it's nothing. That's the waiter. He'll tell you. That's the waiter. We're sitting there like I was sitting there with my parents. Where's Me and Jackie are sitting there going, oh, my God, she's going to ask. He's coming over. He's going to ask. Like, do we drink water? What do we do while she's asking? <laughs> Eye contact. But you see the guy going, excuse me, ma'am. That's... What is the? What is the? Are you him going, I know what I'm hearing, but she can't be sitting. This lady sitting with three kids and her husband can't be asking. No, it's Howie Mandel's wife. The guy for the rest of his life is going, (laughs) Howie Mandel's wife at dinner asked me what the word taint meant. But again, who is the joke? Who is the joke on? Because now we're all sitting there as a family, embarrassed. The joke is on us Mm -hmm. because now we're sitting there at the table and have to deal with this guy coming over and my mom asking what the taint for the rest of the night. I mean, I hope this was during dessert. This didn't happen during appetizer, (laughs) so you got to spend the rest of the night. No, I'm not. I'm not. not, I know the rules of tables and what fork to use the, uh, you know, for salad, and I'm not really up on all that stuff. Taint should be during de- dessert. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I fe- yeah, that's typically Taint. where it goes. Taint not, feels the, deserty. Clearly, you, you don't know? watch The Crown because yeah. they talk about that in multiple episodes. The taint always happens during dessert. This is true. <laughs> if you're enjoying this episode of Daddy Issues, and I know you are, share the love, tell a friend about Daddy Issues, and go subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss the rest of our conversation with Howie Mandel and his daughter, Jackie, coming up right after the break. Jackie, what was it like, though, growing up with a, a, a dad who was a comedian? I mean, I, I we've had a bunch of comedians on the podcast, but actually, I've never talked to a child of a comedian and what that is, what that's like. I mean, it depends what age you were asking me. When I was really, really little, it was amazing. I went on tour with my dad. I was in a mm-hmm. tour bus with him. We went from cities to city every single day. He brought me out on stage when I was really little. So I had so much fun. And that all ended when my brother was born and we had to stay home. Mm. But that was amazing. Mm. And then you ask me in my teen years where I just want to be cool and fit in. And he's still making jokes and making me uncomfortable and sending his friends in Speedos with fake blood coming out of his nose to pick me up from school because he thinks it's hilarious that was not well, so funny let me let me let me it's not because i think it's hilarious because a teenage girl is just no matter how cool you think you are as a father or what you're doing for a living there comes a time when just your existence becomes an embarrassment to your children mm-hmm. and i used to drive her to school and she used to have me drop her off like two blocks from the school because god forbid anybody should know her dad's Howie Mandel, or even the fact that she has a father. Right. She just, mm-hmm. that's, and, and, and that, so I said, you know, you're embarrassed of me. I'll show you. And I got my friend, this guy, Vic Cohen, I could send you a picture. <laughs> Vic Cohen shows up at her school when, when they're getting out at night, he's wearing a speedo. He's a little short, bald man. He's wearing a speedo. <laughs> um, and he's got, uh, he gave himself, I don't know, for whatever reason, he put fake blood in his nose. So the nose is just dripping blood onto, his, um, onto his hairy stomach and his speedo. And he's holding up a sign that says, Jackie Mandel, Uncle Vic is here. Where's my Jackie? As <laughs> <laughs> kids are teaming out all over the place. She was so effing mad at me but i said look it could be more how embarrassing am i if this is your uncle Vic? you sent him you sent <laughs> well, you sent well, him ja- <laughs> well it, it, it's so it's it's so you know i grew up with famous parents and and it was i did everything i could to 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 keep that a secret i didn't want anyone to know who my parents were i wanted to have my own shit and do my own thing i mean your dad is famous was famous was that sort of how you were as well? I mean, did you want to be your own person or did you were you okay with your dad being Howie Mandel? I, you know? I did not tell anyone who my dad was. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had a best friend. I you probably remember this dad, but I had a best friend and she came over often. Most of the time he was on the road, but one time when she came over after we had been friends for over a year, she came over and she went to the kitchen and she ran back into my room and she goes do you know who's in your house and i was like who and she goes howie mandel 
is in your house. I mean, it didn't give her a clue that my last name was also Mandel. But anyways, (laughs) Howie Mandel is in your house. And then I go, no way. (laughs) (laughs) What is he doing here? And she's like, I don't know. You don't know him? I'm like, I don't know him. And we spent the rest of the day spying on my dad, trying to figure out why Howie Mandel was in my house. That is phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. So no, I didn't tell anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I didn't either. I I just, it it was, uh, I was not embarrassed, but I just didn't want to be judged based on who my parents were or who my family was, you know? Yeah. And I never, of course now I'm, I'm, I feel pride, but, but back then I was like, please just nobody ask me. I don't want to tell anybody. And I never wanted to be in the entertainment industry either. I was a teacher for 10 years. So that mm-hmm. that was my goal. Oh. So I never wanted to be in the spotlight anyways. Did you feel like your dad being on the road, you know, was tough in ways for you? I mean, because it would happen throughout your life. Or was it just part of sort of how you grew up? Again, it depends on the age. When you're 16 okay. and your dad isn't home, yeah. that is wonderful. <laughs> you yeah. get to do right. whatever you want. T- taking that as yeah. <laughs> I just my dad was on the road my entire childhood, but yeah. I but the way I approached it was he and I became more best friends than the typical father son combination. And I never wanted to get in trouble. Probably kept me as you know dorky as I was as a kid. I never wanted to get in trouble because I didn't want the time that he was home wasted on him having to punish me or me being in, you know, grounded or whatever it was. I just wanted to maximize that time. And and I feel like if it's the right dad and the right kid, you can turn that into a positive because it's, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And then when you're together, you, you don't take it for granted. Like I, I think so many people. I think do. that your, your uh, take on that is, is, is uh, pretty evolved. <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't that most people would think, you know, would would stop to analyze like I want this time to be good, though, as Jackie said, you know, when I was touring when she was little before when we just had one, there's a big space between, I think, five years between her and her brother. So for those five years, you know, she was on the road and Mm -hmm. I was living in a tour bus and uh, I loved being up all night and being in a tour bus. And that's where we would eat, sleep, drink, have our family. And Jackie, up until she was five or six years old, I would wake her up at 2.30 in the morning or 3.15 in the morning in the someplace between Ames, Iowa and Wisconsin in a truck stop. And we would go out because I love shopping in truck stops. We would be in a place. There'd be at three in the morning, there'd be five other people in six teeth, you know, <laughs> and the, the funny little cassettes we could buy and the little weird t-shirts and stuff. You remember all the bus stops, right? The truck stops. Yeah. I mean, right, Jack? yes, I had so much fun traveling with you and that even though I stopped traveling and going on the road with him as much, we still got to do a lot of cool things because he was traveling so often. So whenever I wasn't in school or whenever we could take a break, I think I got to experience some really, really cool places that I wouldn't normally get to experience if he wasn't on the road and doing what I think did. the two of you are going to learn so much more about each other doing something as public as a podcast together. I, I think there will be things that you'll find out along the way that you never knew she was feeling, you know, unless it's all slapstick and I don't feel like it's going no, no, to be. No, 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 it's not. It's all, it's pretty real. And we deal yeah. with 
we, we, we love that. We are finding things about each other. She finds things about herself or about me, you know, as she goes, as she's gotten older, you know, um, we were talking the other day, we did a podcast and we were talking the other day. I, I, she didn't find out till she read my book that we never had gone camping together in her mind. We had camped <laughs> and older camping, but she they, created that memory. <laughs> oh, well, I no, he did. He created that memory. He told me, you can tell it, Dad, but he told me oh. that we went camping together and he set out a tent in the backyard. I remember this vividly. It is one of my favorite memories and I've told it often until I read his book and found out it never actually happened. Well, it wow. kind of <laughs> yeah. Well, she wanted to go camping. That She said that's her favorite thing. She was a little girl. I set up a tent in the backyard and... Uh, Actually, uh, Oliver, it, w- it was in that it was in that house in Hidden Hills. In Hidden, you know, Oliver lived in that house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So, hey, uh, go, getting, I just want to get back to mental health for a second, just because the generational aspect of it, Jackie. I don't know if you were listening, you know, prior to you coming on. I, I had a year of intense, intense anxiety in my life, and you know, it's still there's still it still exists. I'm I'm better, you know, but it still exists in me. I when I was going through that, I learned that around the exact same time, my mother went through the same thing. When she was 26 years old, she wow. had the same thing, and she would sit in her room and she was doing a sitcom at the time, and she'd go to work and then come home and drink her tea and would not leave her house or her apartment because she was t- terrified. She she was just ridden with anxiety. Um, so you know, it makes me not nervous, but wonder if, you know, my kids are going to sort of inherit some of this nature versus nurture, as we sort of talked about before. You know, Howie, first of all, do you know the origin? I mean, do you look back into your childhood as, as, as you analyze yourself and sort of get curious about where this might have come from? And then do you stress out about passing it down to your kids? And then Jackie, even the next generation. I mean, is this something you even think about? I did not think about it. You know, I just was, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I thought that I would, you know, grow up, have kids and teach them about the world. What would actually happen is I grew up, had kids and they continued to teach me about the world because that's where I learn cause and effect. You know, that's where I learned I was dealing with this and you become so isolated in your own mind and what, you know, I'd be upset about what, my wife let the kids touch. I would be, they would see me, you know, uh, go into horrible depressions or they'd see me turn. We'd be on our way in a, in a limo to the airport and Jackie would cross her leg and her shoe would touch me. And then I'd freak out and we'd have to go home and almost miss our flight because I had to go change my pants because her shoe touched my pants. Um, how do you deal with that with your kids though, as far as explaining why you are this way, you know, when they're that young, you know, to um, rationalize it somehow or to make them think it's okay. Or, you know, talk to to her. I didn't, my wife did. I Uh didn't, I was at this point until I went and got help. I was just trying to survive. I was just trying to get through myself. And now, I mean, she'll tell you she has it and nobody feels more guilty than me, but Mm -hmm. I think it's. Oh, a lot of it is is physiological, you know, mm. and and biochemical. But yeah. she has, she's, um, in fact, she's probably more anxious than I am right now. I've I've got some coping skills, and 
I've got it under control. I don't know that she's getting there, but Mm -hmm. you know, I feel guilty and you've just made me feel more guilty, (laughs) Oliver. (laughs) Jackie, are you there? Did you hang up? No, I'm I'm here. I'm listening to his thoughts, but I mean, yes, he, I saw him suffer when I was, younger. And I think it was harder when I wasn't really aware of what was going on. My mom was kind of the voice of reason. And she was home a lot more because he was on the road a lot. So I was with my mom a lot more and she was a voice of reason. And she didn't have any of these fears or anxiety or OCD or stresses. So I lived a lot more with her. But because I do believe, and I might be wrong, I'm not a doctor, but I do believe it is genetic. I also have I don't think I have OCD, but I do have extreme general anxiety that flares up right now. It's pretty bad and I'm going to therapy and I'm kind of locked in my house and I'm trying to cope and deal with it. But one of the things that has really, really helped me is the fact that my dad, after he um, sought out therapy and got help, he's so open about it and he talks about it all the time. And it's just a normal thing to take care of your mental health. So for me, there's never been a stigma. I'm always open. I'm always talking about it. I'm always trying to go seek help and get therapy. So I hope that even if my, I don't hope my kids have to deal with this, but if they do, I hope them seeing that I'm open and it's okay to seek help and people go through this and go through therapy, that it won't be as hard for them to be able to cope and deal with it and seek help as well. So, I mean, I think it was helpful that my dad had it and has been so open about it and talked about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's, it takes the sting out of it. Um, (laughs) You know, for you, Howie, I don't know why it bothers me so much, but when I think about, you know, when I, I look at the packet of, of information we have in you, and I remember the Rob Schneider one or Marshall Falk, who, they, you know, if somebody has an issue, and I don't know why it is with OCD or, you know, having an issue with germs, people want to like break through that and go, ah, it's so funny. I'm going to touch your hand. And I, you don't like touching people's hands, but I'm going to be the one to, to go do that. And you've had to deal with that over the years and I, I don't know why that p- pisses me off so much that people well, think- you know what it doesn't it pisses more people off outside than me you know right. i have no project against marshall or or rob or whatever i get it i get it you th- you they just don't know and nobody right. knows but they just dismiss also- it like it's not that big of a deal but well, it's a huge deal to you it's a huge yeah, yeah, deal but, but i think Jackie. that's exactly what how he's that's what how he's talking a, about it, it's like raising awareness for it i mean this it just seems it seems doesn't seem like it means anything because it seems trivial but it it's does not. because not one i'm a comedian so right. I'm, I'm i'm you know the packaging of whatever this horror show is that's going on in my mind is comedic I'm like a clown, so I'm making fun of it. So it makes it, it it gives license to other people to feel that they can make fun of it. Um, and also they don't understand it. So you can't fault somebody for not knowing. And the fact that we have that you are having this conversation with me and Jackie on this podcast is one step, maybe just a, a you know a minimal step, but one step closer to possibly, you know, raising more awareness and maybe somebody else that would approach somebody just to try to be funny and to touch them where they don't want to be touched. It won't happen. Not only that, but what I like too is just this having Jack, you being on and understanding it from, you know, your perspective and then also what you have sort of learned from it. 
And in a sense, breaking the cycle a little bit, whereas your dad didn't seem to want to come forward with it, even to his kids, where you are open from the get, right? It took Howie, it took you a minute. But Jackie, it seems like you had no reservations of expressing, yeah, this is how I feel. This is who I am. Yeah, I think that's healthy, too, for everyone, because whether or not you have diagnosed OCD or diagnosed general anxiety, whatever, you don't really have to diagnose it. As humans, we go through ups and downs and hard times and stresses. I mean, just being a mom or being a dad, Mm -hmm. you're going to go through hard times and stressful times and anxious times, right? So everyone has to learn how to cope. We shouldn't be embarrassed to say that we Mm -hmm. may need help outside of just our own head. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. God, and you know what's, been a- and this is what's weird for everybody. You know, it, it, for those people that are listening to your podcast right now, you know, you listen to Jackie and you look at Jackie and she seems to have it so together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. But you're talking to her from her closet. <laughs> yeah. Where she walked in for a year. You know, so sometimes, yeah. and I have that problem too, the outside, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, you know, and we all have our, you know, crosses to bear. And we all suffer through our own thing. And we have our own different way of doing it. And I think until uh, that, that's the, uh, the, I think the overall, if there's one thing as a dad that I want to kind of teach my kids and inform my kids of, and, and that is respect. And you have to respect, you know, other people's feelings. You have to, re- because you realize that you don't know what's going on. You can't just take things for face value. So if you respect that they're like you, that they're struggling, that they're, and and you just, and you're open to that, that you're not alone in your own dark mm-hmm. place. And mm-hmm. everybody has a, has an issue. That's you why know, it's got to, it's why it's got to be so, so difficult for you on some level to be a judge on AGT yeah. because you're, you, you know, some of these people show up and, and it's, thank God there's some family television left. That, that you can watch with your kids. And it, I mean, I cry at AGT all the time. Uh, yeah. And, but, but yeah, you're there and you're experiencing it, but at the same time, there's some people show up and you're like, eh, you know, maybe they're struggling or they might be a little bit off and you got to go, ah, you know, you've got to be the thumbs down guy at times. And I yeah. it's got to be hard for you. That's the hardest thing I do. That's the hardest thing I do because every person, group, or thing that steps out on that stage, you know, ultimately I'm just w- looking at myself, you know, that's me, you know, that's, I, I know what it's like to walk out on a stage that isn't comfortable. I know what it's like to walk out on a stage that isn't there specifically to see me. You know, I was the opening act for, a, for a lot of people and they, and they, and they didn't like, I know what it's like to feel that rejection. So I try to you know, I think that I'm on the show and people want to see honest opinions, but I try to be as constructive, even if it's, if that construction can go nowhere, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, it's a nice no. It's it's a nice no. And you've got people it typically, is. when everybody's healthy, that can be kind of the meaner no sometimes. So that, that's got to help. They also employ a psychologist. You know that, backstage. No. No. There's a psychiatrist backstage, Chris Mahandi, who is one of the best guys we had him on my podcast. Chris Mahandy is a, is a forensic psychologist and, uh, you know, for insurance purposes, because somebody could feel rejected and in their mind, this was their last chance on the show and they're totally depressed. So they got to be backstage so that we don't release them in anything less than a healthy state. But right. Chris 
also worked with the LAPD. He was the guy, um, he was the first guy that, that they released OJ into his hands during the, the white Bronco uh, mm -hmm. chase. Yeah. You know, he, he was informing the negotiator what to say, how not, because he, he was the, the psychologist for the LAPD and he was wow. in the foyer at Rockingham Place when, because they didn't know what he was going to do. So he's he's deals with all these big cases and then uh, a juggler who dropped the third ball, you know, <laughs> I know it's like here's OJ and then you got, you know, the, the 57 year old ventriloquist, the, the lovely Schmidt family with their <laughs> and their precious poodles. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, this uh, well, is, I can, we don't we want to talk to you guys. guys. All day. Sorry, yeah, I know taking, we don't want to keep too you much guys. of your time, but a lot God, of time. Thank you. I know, but but before we do go, I got to say this: my um, my Howie Mandel delivered all three of my children. We have uh, oh, Eric's gynecologist. Do you know? I'm sure you you must have heard living in L.A. You know Howie? No, I, yeah, I do know Howie. And uh, when I was doing, I was doing a show in the '80s because St. Elsewhere is a hospital show. Yeah. And he came and visited me on the set. But when I had Jackie, I didn't have Jackie. When we had Jackie, he was the head of uh, OBGYN at Cedars. Yeah. And yeah. So at, at that time, <laughs> at that time I was in a, we being on a hospital show, you know, whatever show you're on, people of that uh, profession seem to glom on even more. So being on a hospital show and playing a doctor at the time I was having Jackie um, doctors wanted to come in and say hi to me. They go, cause I played that Dr. Fiskin <laughs> and my dot. And so Howie was looking after us, but other associates would come in the room and go, you're Howie Mandel. Yes, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And they, they would, they were uncomfortable just coming in and talking to me, uh, just because they were fans of the show. So they wanted to make it look like they had a purpose. So one at a time they would come in, they would put on a glove. They'd say, we love the show and everything. And then they would stick their hand into my wife and go, that, Seven centimeters, <laughs> eight centimeters, and I went. Jackie's about to throw up. By the way, uh. I, I go. This is not a fucking puppet show. If you want to hide to me, say hi. Keep your fingers out of my wife. Right. And I don't. How many people that we don't know and had no connection with poke Jackie, who's sitting here in the eye? I'm sorry, Jackie. I'm That's... taking this moment to apologize for that. <laughs> That's hilarious. This is what happens. This is what happens on the podcast all the time. There's these stories, and I'm just like, Dad, Dad, stop it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear this. Oh, my story. God. So oh, no, happens. but I love it. I love it. I love how open you guys are with each other. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's extremely refreshing. It's how I am with my parents and my sister. We talk about everything. I, my mom talks about sex and her sex life. Kate, oh my God. It, we, it, it's very open. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's healthy. And then at the same time, I wonder if we're all fucked up because of it. I don't know. Well, when you get done, you call your mom and you ask her if she knows what a taint is. I was is. just going to go back to that. That's what. <laughs> that's what the other Howie Mandel. That's my daughter with the callback. Yes. That's my <laughs> yes. That's the, my, my girl. The, the, the biggest joy, I mean, this sounds kind of sappy, but the biggest joy I have now in life is spending time with my kids. There's nothing I would put on top of just being in the same room as my kid. Mm -hmm. you know? awesome. and, I know. I love it. That's not sappy at all. That's real, man. I mean, that's that's it's beautiful, and I feel the same way. And I know Joe feels the same way. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I'm lucky enough as well. Like uh, I, you're working with your daughter right now, and she's 37 years old. I'm doing this sitcom that I'll know whether it gets picked up in a week or two. And my son, 
again, long story short, who's not an actor, he ended up testing for the show to play my nephew as a series regular and fucking got it. So now I, I am working with my 10-year-old son, Bodie. He has been on, he's doing, he did the pilot with me and I was pretty much crying every day, just in awe and that he was doing what I've been doing for so long and how comfortable and cool he was, his own little dressing room. I, I just couldn't believe it was happening. And if this show goes, he's, I'm on set with him every day. I can't even fathom that thought yet. Well, I, my, every thought that positive thought I'm, I'm sending your way, I hope that works out for you because that is the joy. That yeah. is joy. And, you know, as somebody who's, well, you probably know a lot of people too, you know, in, in comedy, a lot of comedians that up at the same time as me didn't get married and didn't have kids. And mm -hmm. you can't explain to people who don't have children how much that it not only enriches your life, how important it is to maybe, you know, people always say, how do you want to be remembered? I don't give a shit about being remembered. Mm -hmm. My legacy sitting here on That's the right. Zoom. That's right. Ah, uh, what a great way to end. Yep, Jackie, you're a lucky, you're a lucky girl, and Howie, you're a lucky dude. You guys, you guys are awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Stay healthy. Yeah, stay you stay, stay healthy. And hey, great luck, great luck with the podcast. It sounds amazing. Well, it sounds I'm, really fun. Congratulations on this one, and I'm fans of both of yours and and your work outside of this podcast, also. And good luck with that pilot. Yeah, thanks, brother. We'll know soon. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you guys All for right. having me on. Thank you nice so much. You. Yeah, thanks, Bye. guys. A pleasure. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Man, that was amazing. I think. I. Oh yeah. But he is great. I knew I he'd be great. He's so and great. She's great. I mean, she's. I, I just love that one. It's long, but that um, was a long one. We did a long one. That that was more like a. Kate Hudson, Oliver Hudson, sibling revelry podcast. Oh, we. I, I don't feel good about any comparisons that you, you make. Don't. No, it's like you know, it's it's. No, that's that's not. Well, nice. let me just take let me just take this time to promote sibling revelry. You guys check it out on Apple Podcasts oh. or wherever you get your sibling revelry. Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson talking oh. about what it's like to be siblings. Wow. Uh, Can we keep that? No, that's it's coming out. <laughs> it's coming out, or I quit. Um, that was that great. was awesome. I, I I think that was an important an important uh, conversation. You know, I, I love talking about that. I love how open he is about mental health and going there. I know he's been asked about it probably a ton. I was a little hesitant in sort of going down that path because it's just so known. But uh, he was very willing and uh, to talk about it and. You know, almost seemed excited to bring it up and yeah. educate people a little bit as to who he is and what he went through, what he goes through every fucking day still. Yeah. No, I was a Gnarly. fan before. I'm a bigger fan now. And yeah. the story I was going to tell is when I got married for the first time and I was 24 in 1993, we have our wedding. My, you know, one day old wife or wife of one day she and i spend the night in the ritz carlton in st louis and when we came down to go get into a car or a taxi to go to the airport to go to bowie for our honeymoon howie mandel was walking through the lobby right getting mm -hmm. preparing to do a show in st louis that night and now that i look back i should have just stayed wow. for the show
<laughs> yeah, but then you wouldn't have your girls, you know. Oh, I know. I'm just kidding. That was an easy joke. That was an easy joke. Uh, um, I yeah, know. no. Um, it, all right, let's let's be let's just be short here because we can let that whole thing sit on its own. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger. <laughs> 